0: Love, love this time of communion that we share together as a family. This is the family coming, gathering around the table of our Lord for the purpose of fellowshipping with one another and fellowshipping with Him. One simple thought this morning that I would like to share with you and we'll begin in the Gospel of John in the second chapter in the 13th verse. We're going to study this passage of Scripture again in a couple of weeks. There's one thing I'd share with you from it. Uh, John chapter 2 and verse 13. The Passover of the Jews was at hand and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. Making a whip of cords, he drove them out of the temple with the sheep and oxen, and he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. The thing that I ask us to take from this passage of Scripture this morning is very, very simply that Jesus, to say the least, was extremely displeased with the use of the temple. The temple represented the very presence of God. It was the dwelling place of God. Jesus was displeased with the misuse of the temple. Now, I would ask you to turn over to 1 Corinthians, the 6th chapter and the 19th verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. It goes on to say, you have been bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. A second scripture I found in regard to this was over in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and verse 16, and it simply says this, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? The temple of God is no longer in Jerusalem. For all who believe, you are the temple of God. Just as Jesus was displeased with the misuse of the temple 2,000 years ago, so he is displeased with the misuse of the temple today. You are a temple of God. Individually, you're a temple of God. Corporately, we are the temple of God. When the temple is misused, correction is inevitable. There are a myriad of ways that we can misuse the temple. One of the things that I did this past week was take a quick scan of the Gospels to see those occasions where we see Jesus displeased or angry, upset. I found four such occasions, though there may be more than that. I found in the 18th chapter of Mas- Matthew that Jesus expressed his displeasure for anyone that would cause a child to stumble. I found in the Gospel of Mark in the 10th chapter, Jesus expressing his displeasure and his anger to the disciples when they hindered children from coming to him. I found in the third chapter of Mark's Gospel, Jesus expressing his displeasure, his anger, if you will, to the Sanhedrin for wanting to prosecute him for healing a lame man on the Sabbath. Here in the Gospel of John, in the second chapter, we see him once again being displeased with the misuse of the temple. One of the things I found in these four occasions that they all have in common is that Jesus is displeased any time we hinder others from coming to him. In all four of these accounts, in some degree, there were those who were being hindered from coming to him. One of the ways, we think about what is it that displeases Jesus. And the first things that tend to come to our mind is something like, I know that he's displeased when I don't spend enough time in the Word. I know that he's displeased when I don't spend enough time praying. I know he's displeased when I arbitrarily just miss a Sunday. I know he's displeased. And we we kind of connect that to spiritual disciplines. But I am comfortable in saying to you this morning that the thing that displeases him most is when we misuse the temple To hinder people from coming to Him. Anything that we might do that would raise a barrier for people experiencing Him, His presence, coming to Him for ministry, coming to Him to worship, coming to Him for instruction, is displeasing to God. And when He is displeased, correction is inevitable. I turn now over to the epistle, the epistle that was written to the Hebrews, and I turn to the twelfth chapter. You're going to hear a word in this passage of Scripture. The word is discipline. Some synonyms for discipline that you'll also hear in, in, in this passage of Scripture is Um, reproof. You'll also hear the word chastise. When you think of the word discipline, this, this is so important, I don't want you to think of punishment. I want you to think of correction. Discipline, chastisement, reproof means... Correction, it's important to understand that discipline is an expression of God's love for us. I speak to you all of the time and I talk about experiencing God's love and involvement in your life and His love is expressed to us in His presence, in His provision, in His protection, in His mercy, in His grace, in His guidance, in His direction, but I err in leaving off discipline. For an expression of His love for us is discipline or correction. And you'll see in this passage of Scripture that He has a purpose for correction. It's simply to move us to the path that we might experience his best in our lives. Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in the third verse. Consider him, Jesus, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? We could use the word children there. He quotes from Proverbs, the third chapter. He says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one that he loves and chastises every son, every child, whom he receives. It is for discipline, it says in verse 7, that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons, as children. The Father is treating you as children. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated then you are illegitimate children and not sons. The lack of godly correction in our lives is evidence that we are not children of God. (laughs) Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them, but God disciplines us for our good. Here's a purpose. That we might share his holiness. I ask you to consider, in regard to that verse, the implication of our relationship with other people. He disciplines us so that we might share his holiness. The idea of hindering people from coming and experiencing God in his presence and his different expressions of love. Now, verse 11. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. It's no fun when we experience God's expression of love through correction. It says, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. It talks here about God's correction and its work in our lives. That through it, we share his holiness with others. And through it, it yields peaceful, peace and righteousness. And so he kind of ends this thought by saying, therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees, those of you who find yourself in the midst of God's expression of love through correction. Lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. Another purpose. Peace, righteousness, healing that we experience through God's discipline and God's correction. Verse 14, this won't be on the screen, it simply says, strive for peace with everyone, which is an important part of our experience of his involvement in our lives. It's talking there again about our relationships. It's implying there again of his displeasure with any barrier that we might put up that would hinder other people from coming to him. You know, I, I think one of the uses of this time that we have together is to examine ourselves and ask God what there might be in his temple our lives that would hinder others from coming to him. As a matter of fact, over in 1 Corinthians in the 11th chapter, beginning in the 29th verse, I tell you what, I think I'm going to read from 27 And ill. Some have even died. But if we judged ourselves, if we examined ourselves truly, then we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. How are we condemned with the world? Well, it says in 2 Corinthians, very simply, uh, chapter 13 and verse 5, it says simply, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? that you are a temple of God. We are told clearly in the scripture as we prepare our hearts to commune with the Lord at his table that he calls us to examine ourselves. The scripture clearly points out That if there are things in our lives that are hindering other people from coming to Jesus and we are not experiencing God's correction in our lives, then we are not in the faith. Can I just? We're not saved. We're not Christians. But we take this opportunity to judge ourselves, to examine ourselves. We go before the Lord and we ask that he would reveal to us those areas in our lives that are displeasing to him. And so that we won't have to experience his correction or an expression of his love, we ask him at this time to make those things right in our lives. God does not punish you, believer, for your sin. God does not punish you, believer, for your sin. God punished Jesus for your sin. The penalty of your sin has been satisfied. God's grace is seen in his gift of salvation, and his gift of forgiveness. But God's grace does not overlook our sin. When there's things in our life that displease him, as any loving father would do, he comes to us and offers his correction so that we might experience his best in our lives, so that we might experience his peace in His righteousness, so that we might share His holiness, so that we might not hinder anyone from coming to Jesus. I want to ask our elders and deacons, those who will be serving the elements this morning, if you would come and take your places. This is a holy time to God, a sacred time to God, a time that is set apart. It is a time of communion. It is a time of interaction. It is a time of hearing from God. It is a time of fellowship with him, and it is a time of direction with him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to bless this time with us. Jesus, I ask once more that during this intimate time with you, you might minister in our lives in a very real way. That you might reveal to us, Lord, if there's anything within your temple, our body, that is hindering us from fellowship and intimacy with you, hindering us or hindering others from coming and, and experiencing you and worshiping you and being taught by you and having intimacy with you. If there's anything in the temple, Lord, that would hinder others, that you would reveal that to us as a part of our examining ourselves, we ask you to shine the light in our temple, temple, your temple, then Lord, we thank you for your sacrifice for us and we remember your sacrifice for us and we acknowledge and recognize it is through that sacrifice that those things are washed away and you bestow on us a clean and fresh start. I pray that that might be the experience of your people here today. Bless our time of communion, Lord. I pray in your name. Amen.